Well, I guess when it gets to the point when you're the only one left on the platform, that's when you get up. So <laughs> it's good to see you all. I'm delighted to be with you today. According to the forecast, this is the coolest day of the week. This is the first day of the week. It's going to be the coolest day of the week. It's going to get to 94 today. We'll go up a little bit past that. Makes us grateful for this great place we have to come to worship the Lord together, to study His Word together. So the subject is, as Randy shared, the last time, its tenure and its test. And it's 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 19. 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 19. We'll read that in a moment. If you did not bring a Bible with you today, the Pew Bible's there. It's on page 1056. And that'll be handy to you later on because I'm going to read an extended passage in Daniel. And I'll give you that page number as well. It'll be helpful to you in discerning uh, reading along as we read it there. Well, we've been studying along in 1 John and in the second chapter. He first presented us a moral test in verses 3 through 6. And the moral test is the believer's responsibility. Those to whom he was writing then and to us now, the believer's responsibility to obey the Lord's commandments. And then verses 7, 11 through 11, <clears throat> he presented uh, a social test. And that's our responsibility, as it was theirs, to love our siblings in the body of Christ our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We have a responsibility to love one another. In fact, the Lord Jesus said we would be known because of our love. And then after affirming those to whom he wrote, because they had been through some stressful times with some um, agnostics pertaining to the doctrine that they held to, He affirmed them and then admonished them to be very careful in getting caught up in the love of the world and the things that are in the world. And that was verses 12 through 17. And now we're at verses 18 and 19. And he presents to us a doctrinal test. And where there is doctrine strongly stood on, I'll guarantee you there are going to be divisions. It just happens. It just happens. You go from church to church, and you and I've been on, preaching a lot of different places, and, and there's this issue or that issue that they've had to deal with and survive through it as a family, keeping the unity and that sort of thing. Uh, and who wants to be a part of one of those, quote, Christian fellowships where it really does not matter what you believe? Y'all just, y'all come. <laughs> Y'all come. I don't know. I don't want to be there. I want to know what this precious word of God says. I want to understand it. And by the grace of God, I want to live it. So doctrinal differences are an issue, a very important issue. And they are also instructive to us, as we'll see as we go down here a little farther in the test. So, 1 John 2, 18 and 19, let's read it together. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, by the way, remember now, John is writing to churches 
in the area in and around Ephesus, and it's an area where the Apostle Paul had ministered and taught. So they had heard about this at the Christ from others before John writing this. As you have heard, Antichrist shall come. Even now, there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. Though the presence of Antichrist are instructed. Aggravating, but instructed. They went out from us, but they were not of us. But if they had been of us, they would know to have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Let's pray together. Blessed Father, we love you. Lord, we love you. We love your word. What a marvelous gift of grace it is that you have preserved it for our instruction. How we can live coming to faith in Christ and how to live after that to your pleasure and to your honor and glory, but also, Lord, to our good as we walk this life, looking forward to the next life in your very presence. Lord, this is just a brief moment in history, but we're grateful for it. And we're grateful for this place and this gathering of folks that love you and love your word Lord, wear me like a garment. Just do what you please with us all. Because we're here, Lord, to worship you and to hear from you and to grow in the nurturing admonition of thy blessed word. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, John says it's the last time. In fact, in verse 18, he says that twice. It is the last time. You've heard this. And then we know there are many antichrists coming, and that's a sign that it is the last time. We know it's the last time because of all these antichrists, the proliferation of them. It's interesting that this phrase, last time, is found only here in this book, Epistle of John, first epistle. The last time found only here in the New Testament. The word last is the word eschatos, eschatos. And that means coming after all others in time. The very last of the sequence, the last one there is, eschatos, that's last. And that's where we get our term eschatology. That's a theological term identifying the study of last things, the things in the end, eschatology, comes from the root Greek word eschatos, the study of last things. The final events pertains to the Coming, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead and, and all uh, the millennial kingdom and things that come before that. And then after that, you know, the eternal kingdom. He said it's the last time, eschatos, last. And then time, that Greek word hora, H-O-R-A, hora, eschatos, hora, is a phrase there translated last time. So, what does that mean? That means hour. It means the period of time. Some translations of New American Standards and others actually translate it hour. But here, contextually, time is better, obviously. A better translation, of course. It is obvious, is it not, that he could not mean a literal hour, 
when he was writing to these folks and this letter had to be delivered for them to read it because that hour would have been far spent, you know, by the time they received it. But he says, it is the last time. Little Greek word, emi, E-I-M-I, emi. It means be, to have the quality of being. So in essence, he's saying, boys and girls, brothers and sisters, this be the last time, like we said in these sections. This is it. This be it. This be the last time. Now, what do you mean by that? Exactly what did John mean by that? Well, always the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God. And so where do you start when you have a, a, a verse here that says, well, what does this mean? You go to the Word of God, first place. Rather than going to get some commentary out there, this is the best commentary you'll find. You start in the immediate context. And if you don't see it right there, clearly defined and explained, which most of the times, so many times, you'll find that very thing immediately adjacent to it. If you don't find it there, you go to the preceding verses or you go to the succeeding verses, okay? You look for and out of the particular verse that's in question, okay? And so we try to stay as close to the present verse in context, but it's kind of like throwing a rock in a pond. You know, the ripples go all the way out to the edge of the pond. Sometimes you can go all the way out to the whole Word of God, looking for the clarity of that context. You know what you'll always find? Clarity of context. The Word of God never, ever contradicts itself. Never. You find clarity of context all the way to the shoreline, from Genesis to the maps. It's there. The clarity of context will come forth. Take some careful study sometime. Nonetheless, it's there. Our first clue, though, for this particular verse, this is the last time. Verse 8, look at that. What does verse 8 say of this second chapter? Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. That's the first definitive word about this last time right there, the first clue. In the Gospel of John in verse, chapter 1, verse 66 through 9, he talks about the ministry of John the Baptist. He said, it was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness. Why did he come? To bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. In John 8, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So if you look at verse 8, there's been a change, right? Darkness is passing. The true light is now shining. Who is the true light? Jesus. So we know a clue, do we not, that the beginning of the last times had this something distinctly to do with the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ on the planet. Okay? Other apostolic writers wrote about the same time frame, the last time, but they use different wording. For example, Hebrews chapter 1, 1 and 2. God who at sundry time, sundry time, excuse me, 
and in diverse matters spoken time past unto the fathers by the prophets. However, he hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. So John says it's the last time. Here, the writer of Hebrews, which probably was Paul, maybe not, I don't know. But he's, God has spoken to us through his son in these last times. Same time frame. First Peter 1.20, speaking of the Lord Jesus, Peter writes, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So we have Hebrews saying these last days, Peter saying these last times, but it's all referring to the same time frame and the advent, first advent, if you don't that ter- use that term, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to planet Earth. So minimally, we know that this new time is related to that and that alone. That's what started the last times, the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the earth. That term hora, H-O-R-A, that's translated some places, hour, and some translations, or time, as we've seen here in our text. Hora, hour or time. It's without the definitive last two times in John's gospel. This is hour, okay? And it's from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want, probably want to turn to this. John chapter 5, verse 25. John 5 through 25. <clears throat> Jesus, <clears throat> pardon me. Jesus is speaking, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming. Hora, that same word. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. The hour is coming and now is. Now is. Subsequent to that, the Lord Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. The term now is. When the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and come forth, and Lazarus heard it, and he came forth. Another interesting thing, I love this verse. You know, it just uh, it's Matthew 27, uh, 52 and 53. It's just so intriguing to me. It says, after the Lord died on the cross in our place, the graves were open, and many of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the city, holy city, and appeared unto many. Don't you love that? <laughs> Can you imagine what a stir that caused when all of a sudden... Bill and Mary and Jack and Jim and Susie and Martha and whoever, I don't know how many. What are you doing here? I went to your funeral. What are you doing here? You know something that would just bless my soul to no end? Literally. If we could know that one of those persons that came out of that one of those graves was John the Baptist. He marched into town, went to Herod, and gave him his platter back. Wouldn't that thrill you? Glory to God. Could be. Who knows? Who knows? You remember, we're dealing with the sovereign Lord. He does what he wants to in the heaven, the earth, and under the earth. God does what he wants to do. I love that about him. 
Well, the hour is coming and now is. Well, now look down from verse 25, look down to verse 28 through 29, okay? Jesus has just said the hour is coming and now is. In verse 28, he says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming. He didn't say now is. He said the hour is coming in which we all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Verse 29, shall come forth. They have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That's in the same chapter. Both verses straight from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ as recorded, preserved for us. One says the time is coming and now is, and then another one says the hour is coming. The word now is, that phrase now is, comes from a little Greek word, N-Y-N, nin, nin. Now is. It means at the present moment. When Jesus said the time now is, he meant this. That Greek word means this at this moment. This is that time. And of course we see that he raised Lazarus. But you go to the next verse, in verse 28 there, the hour is coming. Erkomai. Erkomai, E-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. It's a Greek word that has a different meaning. It means to come to pass at an appointed time. It will come to pass in due time. So rather than the time being now is, we're looking at a time that shall come to pass in the appointed time. Both of the times are appointed by the sovereign rule of the Father, but one is now and the other one is coming. So, presently here, the time is. Then the time will come in the future. The term last days, or last day in the singular, is found some seven times in the Gospel of John. Two of those verses are particularly germane to our position on the doctrines of sovereign grace. One of them is John 6.39. Jesus is speaking. This is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. John 6.44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day day. Now, we see something here, a parameter, do we not? Jesus said in John 5, 25, the time is coming and now is. That time was right then. And a few days later, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then the graves pop open when he's crucified and people come out there. But he talks about now, the last day. When this is going to happen, it's going to be raised up. There's the other end of it. So there's a parameter to the time frame, the tenure, if you will. We don't know how long that is, but we know it's a time frame. And it's on one end, it's the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other end is the parousia, as a theological term. It's the second coming 
of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. He doesn't come to earth in the rapture. He comes to earth at the end. There's a first coming and a second coming. Some call it the first advent and the second advent. So, obviously, thus far, then, this last time, or last hour, or last days, began when the Lord Jesus Christ first came on heaven's shore, earth's shore, excuse me, first came. It will continue all the way to his second coming to planet earth at the end of the age. John said, well, it's the last time. We know what that meant. That's when Jesus came, right? But the Antichrist will come. He didn't say the Antichrist was here now. This particular Antichrist will come. As you've heard, that Antichrist shall come. You've heard it from Paul. You're hearing it from me. Antichrist shall come. By the, word, by the way, the word Antichrist, which is a Greek word, Antichristos, it's only found in this particular verse, in verse 22. Uh, uh, verse, uh, yes, verse 22, and then 4, 3, and then 2 John 7. Antichristos is translated Antichrist. It's only found in John's epistles. What is an Antichristos? It's a person who sets himself in the place of Christ, specifically implying the, usurper, the usurping of Christ and his position. Antichrist. Now, anti can mean either substitution or opposition, but both ideas are compounded together in this term, antichristos, translated antichrist, okay? Shall come. There's this word, ekromai again. Shall come. This guy's coming. He'll come to pass when? When he's appointed to come. There's a due time out there in the future. It's not yet, but the antichrist most certainly, most definitely will come. On earth, he's going to show up. It'll be a real problem <laughs> when he does this particular one. Turn uh, to Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27. Uh, that's the Pew Bible, page 769. 769 in the Pew Bibles, Daniel. <clears throat> 9, 24 through 27. He starts off, 70 weeks. That doesn't mean like a year and a few weeks, okay? The Hebrew behind that is the word heptad. It's a 77, so to speak, which the sum literally is 490 years. 490 years, Daniel, have, are, are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. It was 490 years because they had neglected the Sabbath rest. And this number of years is related to that disobedience of the family of Israel and direct disobedience to God. 490 years cooling their hills in Babylon. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Who's Daniel's people? Israelites. Who's the holy city? Jerusalem. Okay. 
Now, the reason I'm stressing this, and I don't know all of you personally and what you all believe individually in so many cases, but there's, there's this replacement theology that says, well, God is true with Israel, and the church is the new Israel, and that is wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. Totally wrong. Determined for thy people and upon thy holy city, Israel and the holy city, to finish the transgression. By the way, there are six things listed here. To finish the transgression, transgression, make an end of sin, make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Those six things are directly related prophetically to the nation of Israel. Thy people, Daniel, 490 years, we're going to accomplish six, uh, six things with your people, Daniel, and your holy city. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, and we know from secular writings and biblical as well, we know when the decree was written, like it's, like it's 444 B.C. by King Artaxas, to rebuild the city and the wall in Jerusalem, the temple. Until the Messiah, the prince shall come, shall be seven weeks. That's 49 there. And threescore and two weeks, the streets shall be built and wall, even in troublous times. And after that, threescore and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, but for us. And shall draw, destroy the city and the sanctuary. Excuse me, I missed the line. Messiah shall, shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince, the people of the prince that shall come in due time, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall break the sacrifice and the oblation cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he will make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, I trust you probably have all gotten one of these little charts. And this is not perfect, but it's something I, I found one that suited, and then you'll notice little white spots in here. I pasted some things in there. But see, the last times, over there where it says church age, last times, right there, last days, that's the church age. It started with the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when it started. We're in the last days. Presently, you'll see here the rapture of the church. We're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Second Thessalonians chapter four. Then you see this seven year period, three and a half and three and a half, seven years. That's Daniel's 70th week that he's talking about. The Antichrist, when he's on the scene, will make a covenant, a peace covenant with Israel for seven years. And he breaks it in three and a half years. Right there. That's the breaking of it. You have the beginning of sorrows, the great tribulation, which is an intensification. And then you have the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and so forth and so on. Now, 
you probably have heard this, and I have too, and boy, when COVID was going on and, and all this other stuff and this crazy stuff going on in Washington and all this uh, sodomites praying in the streets and everything else, you think, well, boy, we must be in the tribulation. Well, this is the last time. Some people are afraid they've gotten, they will get the mark of the beast and not know it or whatever. It's important to know what the scripture says. And what the scripture says, it says literally and can be understood. Sometimes it takes careful study looking at those passages and comparing Daniel 9 with the rest of the, the scriptures, and particularly in the New Testament when it's addressed, to know and understand these things, okay? But the church of Jesus Christ, blood bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, will not be in the tribulation. The rapture comes first. If you want to know where I stand, I'm premillennial, you bet. <laughs> The rapture comes before the millennium, which is over here, but also pre-tribulation as well. The Christians born of God will not be in the tribulation. So you're not going to have to sweat that unknowingly getting the mark of the beast. Now, we'll give those guys out there and gals waxing eloquently about all this stuff. That some of the things going on now look suspicious in this regard and that they're laying the foundation of what will become in the future in that particular time frame. Talking about, you know, there's a verse in the Old Testament talking about knowledge growing. Now we've got an AI, you know. Suppose you don't have to study. You can just go with AI and say, I need a sermon for next Sunday, Mr. AI, whoever you are on this text or whatever. I don't know about that. I'm not going to find out about it. And this worldliness. But it's not now. It may get worse. But from the, the, from the beginning of the Gospels all the way through, those old apostles were looking for the and expecting the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what we're doing? We're still looking for that imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean the Lord's forgotten about us? No. It's just not in his time frame to have come before now. Imminent return means this. There's nothing else that has to happen. Dr. John Walbert, who was president of Dallas Theological Seminary for years, he was there like 50 years, I forget how long it was, had a plaque on his desk. It said, perhaps today. And you know, that's true. Perhaps today. John and Randy are here from Gilmer. You guys are from Hideaway. We may not make it home. We may not make it home. It could be today when the trump of God, the shout of the archangel, and the dead in Christ rise, and those of us who are alive caught up together to meet them in the air. Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the days of Christ are at hand. Now, we're in the days of Christ, right? In this sense, we're the blood-bought ones that are serving our Lord Jesus Christ in this day of our lives. But this day of a Christ they're talking about is that day when, <laughs> when debts are settled. <laughs> the dead in Christ rise at the end and the judgment and all of this stuff. 
that day. The day of Christ hasn't come, he said. Let no man deceive you by any means, for they will not come except there come a falling away first. That man of sin be revealed. That Antichrist, the Antichristos, has got to be revealed first. We're not in the day of Christ yet. He hasn't been revealed. That son of perdition, who opposeth and exalting himself all above all that is God, or there's worship. So he sits as God in the temple of God, showing that he himself is God. Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what it holdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Right here in the middle of this chart is where the Antichrist will set himself up as God in the temple of God and exalt himself as God right there in the middle after he breaks the covenant with Israel three and a half years in. So, the Antichrist is coming, most definitely, but he's not come yet. But he'll come at God's appointed time. You know, it's a wonderful thing to know personally through the Lord Jesus Christ a sovereign God as our Lord, our Savior, our Keeper, our Sustainer. He does what He wills in heaven, in the earth, and under the earth. And none can stay His hand. The Antichrist is not going to slip up on us. (laughs) It's not going to happen. God is in control. He's held for a day. By the way, I told you these things. Now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. There's some that say this. Maybe they're right. Certainly what withholdeth is God. God withholds. But they pointed out that, you know, the Holy Spirit is in the believers. Can you imagine when all the believers in Christ are raptured and there's no spirit-filled mortal walking the planet? You think it's bad now? Wait till then. Wait till then. But we're not going to be there, right? I don't have my hearing aids in. If you said amen, I couldn't hear it unless you shouted it. But we're not going to be there. The rapture comes first. In the meantime, though, in the meantime, many antichrists have come and shall continue to come. Boy, they're, seem like Luther's term, thicker than roof tiles. They're everywhere at a Christ. And there's, they're not all bad, you know, because John says, hey, not that they're not all bad, but because there's so many antichrists, we know something. We know it's the last time. It's an affirmation that we're living at the last time. It's like all the gates of hell have been trying to be turned loose, you know, still under the rule of God, but to rattle the cages and stop this onward progress of the kingdom of God and the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in essence, you could say the reason we know it's the last time is the witness of the wicked. <laughs> the witness of the wicked, they tell us. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. This though also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their, their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers, despisers of those that are good, 
traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power of, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses, lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. That sign of the times sounds like the sign of our times, doesn't it? Kind of startling. And I'm not a guy to stand up here holier now and condemn everything outside the church. That's not my gig. But I will tell you something. It's not so cool out there. There's so much sin going on and the promotion of sin and the rejection of biblical values. Read your newspaper and try to identify something that's not a rejection of God's sovereign rule. They talk about global warming. They're going to about these climate messiahs, and they're going to do something that God can't do with warming? The transgender and all this stuff. Rejection of God's creative design. On and on and on. You see, it's one way or the other, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, but it's the rejection of the rule of God and His created order, what brings Him glory, and He alone is due that glory. I told someone this morning, I discovered just a couple of weeks ago that President Biden watches gun smoke. Must. Because a few weeks before that, Mr. Dillon and Chester were sitting in the office there, in the sheriff's office, and it was a terribly hot day and they were fanning. And Chester said, Mr. Dillon, has anyone ever tried to figure out a way to put a shield on the sun so it won't be so hot down here? And Mr. Dillon said, well, yes, Chester, certainly someone had. Well, who was it? John Stetson, and he picked up his Stetson hat. He said, no, Mr. Dillon, I'm talking about putting a shield on the sun. About 10 days ago, I saw this deal on foxnews.com that the Biden administration is open to considering ways to shield the sun's rays to control global warming. Now, they had to get that from Gunsmoke. I've never heard anybody else more that stupid. First <laughs> John 2.18, many antichrists, they're here now. That adverb means at the present moment. They're here in number. 4 3 of 1 John. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. See, he was dealing with these, these agnostics, these uh, docetic gnosis people, you know, that they claimed they had a higher knowledge. And, well, you know, matter is separate from spirit and all that. And so it was ridiculous to think that God and Spirit could be together in one man, Christ Jesus. He didn't really have a physical body. So he's dealing with that sort of thing. Those people that confess that, what is that? That's the spirit of Antichrist. Everyone that rejects the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, God is with us, that was his name, 
Jesus, Jesus, that he would save his people from his sin. Everyone that rejects the true biblical doctrine of Christ, Jesus, as delineated in this scripture, is an antichrist. He's not anybody's brother. That leaves out Jehovah's Witnesses. That leaves out Mormons. That leaves out a lot of other people, nice people. Many deceivers are entered into the world. Matthew 24, 24. There shall be false Christs and false prophets. And they'll show great signs and wonders. Some of them are going to do amazing works. And people, well, this, this, this guy must be from God. Why, so much so, if it were possible, they would deceive even the very elect of God. We have security, ladies and gentlemen, as the elect of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have security because these antichrists, these minions going around doing all this stuff, they may do all kinds of works. Watch your step. Stay in the word. You'll not be deceived as elect child of God. In Matthew 7, 21, 2 and 3, Jesus said, and this is war, one of those passages that really makes you stop and think. He said, there'll be many in that day that said to me, did we not cast out demons? Did we do marvelous works in your name? And Jesus said, in that day, I'm going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, who would empower them to do that? The devil, of course. Master of deception, except when it comes to the elect of God. Their departure, these antichrists, from the faith and from the fellowship of the church, they went out from us, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. Notice there that John uses that inclusive personal pronoun us five times in that one verse 19. Five times. Now these people have been through it. They'd had antichrist filtering in and out of the church. Agnostics trying to pull them away. Divisions and aggravations and whatever. John affirmed them a few verses back. Now he points to the us's, the us's. Special emphasis there, I believe, John was intending on the togetherness, the unity of the body of Christ, to whom he wrote now, of those that stayed together, the us's. They're here together. They all likely well remembered the departure of those that left. The fellowship, probably in some of them cases, it was very painful. And the doctrinal issues that led up to it. Maybe some of those that left the fellowship that held these false doctrines had formed some close friendships with some of them. And there's no reason to suspect that the Antichrist were unlikable people. Even the, the devil appears as an angel of light. And the deluded people can be very kind. Some of the nicest people I ever met rode the bicycles to my door dressed in white shirts and black ties. <laughs> you know? And I'm not trying to be unkind to people or criticize people. I'm just saying, 
This is the word of God. And we've got to remember who we are and what we're about. So some of them are probably very charismatic. They used that charisma they had to attract adherence to their doctrine. And there was a pulling and a tearing when they left. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30, here's Paul now coming back through, come down to Miletus. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. He's told them they'd very likely never see him alive again. He says, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. False doctrine. But also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw disciples away after them. So to the church of Jesus Christ, the blood-bought elect, there are the wolves without. And then there are those that come into the fellowship and rise up within the fellowship to pull away disciples or to get this or that based on the way they feel this or that should be. And ladies and gentlemen, I've pastored long enough. I've had those experiences where I pastored. (laughs) That's where my hair went. (laughs) But as painful as that is, and as painful it can be to a local fellowship, can you believe what Paul said? 1 Corinthians 11, 19. For there must be heresies among you. Why? <laughs> that they might, that they which are approved might be made manifest among you. So heresies, what do they do? Well, it should drive us to our word, the living word of God. We ought to devour it. We ought to know we're in their era. And so we, in the, in the process of resisting their heresies, we're growing in the admonition of the word of God. It's a good deal. Their error is manifested in the light of the word in our hearts. You know, we, we're winners in this thing. You understand? <laughs> we are winning this thing. One thing that has divided church fellowships have been the doctrines of grace. <laughs> several years ago, I was invited to preach in a small Baptist church. I'd never been there before. didn't know where it was. I had to find it with my... GPS thing. When I pulled up there, I was astounded. Here's two Baptist churches side by side. No farther apart than this building right here and that one over there, just down the road south of us. That big building over there. No farther apart. Kind of sharing the same parking lot area. Same driveway to get in. Two Baptist churches. I said, what in the world is this? Well, I was in, had been invited to preach at the Sovereign Grace Church there. That was their position doctrinally. And I don't suppose the other ones would have invited me, but anyway, I was at this church, and, and I said, hey, Pastor, what is the deal with this church right over there? He said, well, Brother Ray, several years ago, there was a doctrinal split over the doctrines of grace, the tulip, the Calvinistic theology, whatever, and thus we are over here. <laughs> and that, so two churches are still there, still going both small, both small. But sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, divisions come not over big things like that, and that is a big thing. The doctrines of grace are the foundation of the true gospel, 
and there is no true gospel apart from the doctrines of grace. But sometimes divisions come over little things, not big things. Maybe not church splits, but hindrances in fellowship. We've talking about, been, been talking about a way that we want to walk in unhindered fellowship with the Father. You know something? We also want to walk in unhindered fellowship together. Unhindered fellowship together. I love this church family. Waverly, my wife, loved this church family too. And I want to take a moment now, just a moment, and I'm going to speak the truth to you in love as my church family. One of the things I was taught when I was learning to drive was never change lanes in an intersection. Never change lanes. That didn't matter a lot out there where I was. There was nothing but dirt roads and gravel roads. There was only a county market, you know, farm to market road over there a ways. It only had two lanes, east and west. But when I got to where I could go over to Walks of Hatch and other places, it was reported, don't change lanes in an intersection. Important. This church, due to the retirement of our beloved pastor, Dan Cozart, is now at an intersection. Here we are. We're at an intersection. Okay? This is not uncommon. It's, it happens everywhere. Pastors retire, pass away, whatever. And those churches come to an intersection. And it's not uncommon when churches come to intersections to say, well, you know, now we ought to change this. Or now we ought to stop that and start this. Or now we ought to change this policy and accept this policy or whatever. And people begin to talk about what changes they would like to see in the middle of the intersection. And to be frank with you, I've begun to hear some conversations going on around like this. Well, we ought to change this or change that or whatever. Under Pastor Dan's faithful leadership over the decades, he held us to this. Faithful and true. Man alive. What a legacy this man has. And I love him beyond description, I do. And I'm grateful to him. I'm grateful to God for him. Waverly loved him too. I asked him, why, why do you love Pastor Dan so much? Is it because you're just so thrilled to have some other guy preaching to you other than me? I was her pastor for 40 years, you know. She just laughed, no, just love Pastor Dan. <laughs> pastor Dan. But under his faithful leadership, he's taught us, he's led us, he's felt held fast to this. And look at us. Look at us where we are. The results are clear. We had a beautiful and very comfortable physical plant. Roger tells us we've got over $200,000 in the bank, second account. We generously support our missionaries. We've got folks in 27 countries. Can you imagine? 27 countries tune in to, to us to, and worship with us on Sunday mornings. We're in a good place. Faithful ministry of our pastor guided us through turbulence all along the way, adhering to the Word of God. So what is my counsel to you? 
let's not change lanes in the intersection. Let's not change lanes. There's nothing that has to be done right now differently than what we've been doing for the last 30 or 40 years. Let's go straight through the intersection. When we talk about this being our church, but you know what, ladies and gentlemen, it is really not our church. We're blood-bought. We're not our own. We're His. And if the Lord Jesus Christ, who owns us, wants to change some things, He'll lead us in due time according to His pleasure. He'll do it in a way that will not hinder our fellowship with each other as we go on through this intersection and work together in close fellowship, discerning the will of God going forward. Let's not change lanes at this intersection according to our pleasure. Because if we do, it's going to be to someone else in the fellowship's displeasure, maybe. It's going to hinder our fellowship. What a travesty that would be. What a travesty to hinder our fellowship over anything that's not according to this. I'm not saying some of these other things are not according to this. I'm just saying, hey, look, let's just get through the intersection. Hold fast through the intersection to what brought us here. And then in time, if the Lord wants to change some things, he'll do it. He always has and he always will. Because he is the Lord. All praise to his name. Lord God, we love you, Father. We praise you for your sovereign rule over all the galaxies, the climates, the seasons, and Lord, the body of Christ, blood-bought, kept in thy hand, none can pluck us out, sovereignly kept all the way home. What a wonderful thing, Father, to belong to you. May your, by your grace lead us carefully through this time of intersection that we come out together on the other side, close, loving each other, no hindrance and whatever, nothing, because we have decided together that it's more important 